0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is
1: why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit.
0: Because every movie makes us feel something. Happy New Year and hello listeners and explorers alike. To this week's conversation here at Feel and Film. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me, ready to enter a strange world's worth of conversation is my best friend and co-host Aaron. I don't even know what to say to that. That just just say hi. That's all we ask. Hi. You. Hi. Yeah. Uh, hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm here. I was gonna start the intro by dropping into my this week on Strange Worlds we visit a planet of Yeah, I was gonna do that, but I just didn't That's have amazing. Creative... No, yeah. that was perfect. Just guys, well, just could, per- could... listeners pretend that's what just happened. This week we're discussing something rare—an original story from a major movie studio that isn't tied to an intellectual property. Is that better? Brilliant! Absolutely brilliant! <laughs> I love it. Well, these give <laughs> this man some us, voice but... work. I, I would, I would take it gladly in an instant. Love doing some voice work if I can. Um, well, these types of movies always excite us, but sometimes don't hit the mark. Uh, will this be the case? Let's find out in our spoiler-filled conversation. But first, a quick announcement to make. We are absolutely delighted to announce that as of January of this year, 2023, we are joining an incredible group of podcasts in the Now Playing Network. We are very grateful to Chicago film critic Jim Lekzowski. I can never pronounce his name. Jim Lekzowski. I can't do it. Sorry, Jim. Jim L <laughs> for letting us be a part of this and excited to share with you in the upcoming episodes about the many awesome other shows in the NPN for now, check out the website at nowplayingnetwork.net. And here we go with all of our spoiler filled conversation. Are you ready? <laughs> because I am. Okay. That's enough of that. <laughs> Aaron, it's no secret to an extent that you and I, we like original stories. Um, I think, we gravitate towards them just in general. And I mean, we're fans of IPs. I mean, nothing, we really can't say much wrong about the MCU or star Wars or Lord of the Rings and, you know, things that appropriately add to a good IP, I think is, is always going to make us happy. But at, at our hearts, we like seeing stories that come out of major studios that don't have a tie-in to something. It's not something 2 3 or 4 or 12. And and I think there there's a lot of risk that goes into that. I I think we we covered early in our podcast days uh, Tomorrowland and it was one that we both liked a lot, but it suffered the fate of a lot of original movies at the time because it was just that it wasn't tied to Star Wars or the MCU or it wasn't the next Toy Story. And so, when we look at a movie like *Strange World*, that action adventure treasure hunting story, um, what did it have to offer for you, in in order to kind of just love that narrative or just immerse yourself in it?
1: Well, it's funny because you mentioned *Tomorrow World*, *Tomorrowland*, *Tomorrow World*. Is it *Tomorrowland* or *Tomorrow World*? I think it's *Tomorrowland*. I'll need to to look at it. I think it's *Land*. Yeah, because it's like a Disneyland (laughs) world. That's right. And it's so confusing. That's right. Strange Land, Tomorrow World. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why I'm rattled here. But yeah, that's a great example. And it's interesting because people say loudly all the time that they want more original storytelling. And especially when it comes to some of our bigger studios like a Disney and Disney and Pixar with their constant output of animation sequels. Disney has been giving us a lot of new content. They gave us Raya, they gave us Encanto, and now they're giving us Strange World. Now, perfect, maybe not five-star movies, very good movies, and a little (laughs) under-marketed, and that is probably a big part of what is failing here because the marketing dollars I'm guessing are going more towards the sure things, right? The ones that they know they can increase their box office by exponential amounts uh, instead of by incremental amounts. And so we're in this like really weird place where stories like this are what people quote, say they want, but In reality, they don't back it up with the wallets. Now, I saw this early, like I do. I really enjoyed it. Everyone that was with me was really enjoying it. I put out a super positive review for it. I tried to talk everybody I could possibly interact with into going to see it in a theater, and almost nobody did. And a large part of that was because even a voice, like a critical voice that is telling you, hey, go check out this movie doesn't often hold as much weight as, oh, I saw two trailers for it when I went to the movies the last month, you know? And that's just how it goes. And so people knew it was coming to Disney Plus and they waited. My hope is that now that it is on Disney Plus, maybe even the little bit of marketing that we give it gets a few people to be like, oh, hey, they covered that movie. Let me go watch that. That's my dream. Because movies like this need eyeballs. They need dollars, but they definitely need eyeballs and they need to be talked about Because that's the currency of our current world. And if they aren't, then Disney's gonna go back to just making Frozen 3 and The Lion King Remake Part 2 and all of that stuff. Because guess what? That's what we pay to go see. (laughs) And then we complain about it, right? (laughs) And get mad. And anyway, it's just a frustrating place. And I know that's not quite what you asked here, but it's the way I'm approaching this whole podcast or this review that this whole film you know discussion i'm from is just a place of like sadness and frustration because i really loved this movie and i've seen it twice now and so what do i think it has to offer i think it has to offer something fresh in its unique story and the biggest parts of that are that it has a twist on an adventure explorer tale that is not just a big twist at the end that we'll talk about. That's not what I'm getting at. But it has to do with the Pando. And without going into like a deep discussion about the Pando, what I think really sets this apart is the majority of stories like this, Patrick, that you and I love about treasure hunting, about exploring, about being an adventurer and finding a new discovery, an artifact or a ruin or whatever. They are almost always in service of finding the thing only. It's its of the excitement of just doing it or figuring it out. But there's never usually any sort of application to what they're doing. There's not a purpose. So when Indiana Jones is searching for the Golden Idol in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's because he wants to do it and have accomplished it and put it in a museum. And the same thing goes for Nathan Drake, searching for Lost cities of gold, you know, that's not because he thinks that finding a lost city is going to create some betterment of the world because he did it right. It's a, it's a passion that these treasure hunters and these explorers have, but the Pando changes things in this story for me because it is about an explorer who sees something and says, wow, this is unique. It's almost like it's more of a scientist approach. Because they're looking at this and they're going, this is something that could improve the world. And I think that when you blend these two ideas and you put these two different types of people, Searcher and his father Jaeger, into this kind of conflict that they end up in, you get something really unique in this genre. And by putting the whole family with them on this journey, man, I thought it added so much heart to the story that they go on. I loved the just diversity of the entire cast, uh, the entire, like the voice cast in general, the actors, the characters themselves. Uh, It just felt very like modern, but yet in this fantasy setting. And then uh, of course we get a a twist that personally I did not see coming. And so it was one of those like, Oh, I've seen this before, but i still didn't notice that that's what you were going to do here. And I think it has a really good message that isn't a beat you over the head with it message. And they do it in a super entertaining and colorful and hilarious way. And I just, I really got a lot out of it. I thought that the fatherhood challenges in this, the ideas of what it means to leave a legacy, I, I really engaged with each and every theme. And I think that this is a movie that, because of how fun it is, it could be easily rewatchable over and over and over for me. It's the kind of movie I could put on in the background if I had young kids. I think that they would find so much to just constantly laugh at and then they would get something out of it slowly without even knowing they they were. And honestly, it's an IP that as much as we just literally just talked about how we don't want everything to be an IP, make this a freaking Disney Plus series for me. Please, give it to me. Give me like high quality animated, same voices. Give me more adventures with the Clades because. I'm here for that.
0: Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think that adventure stories, when they have that framework of going after something, Strange World does expand on that by doing exactly what you said. Not going after the thing, but allowing the thing to affect other things. And and that's different. And I think that's what makes original stories feel Original or refreshing, as James Harleman would say that nothing is new under the sun, Ecclesiastes says that, but the fact that we have familiarity and we have a little bit of updates, we have some refreshness to it. I love that it's a family feature, a family affair, like a family adventure. It involves everybody, and that the conflict starts early you have you have this great dynamic of <laughs> mother, father, and son. And then the adventure begins and father says, no, because of you, you know, searchers like Ethan, I don't want you coming with me because it's, it's dangerous where we find out later that part of his motivation is because he doesn't want Ethan to follow in his, his dad's footsteps as an adventurer. And that's, that's something else that sort of is layered on top of the story, this idea of what does it mean to be, you know, a farmer versus, versus an explorer. There's two, there's value in both. But when I look at a movie like this, I think I liked it. I didn't love it. And I think part of the reason is because it put a lot in this just under two hours and it left things unanswered in terms of like, oh, I saw that. What is that all about? It's not meant to be a story that says let's explore every creature in this underworld. Let's let's go deep dive. I mean, I'm always the person that says this would make a great TV series and maybe it would. But I think for me the curiosity of the underworld the curiosity of of pando and and the difference that it felt the the way how different it was from what i'm normally used to i mean there's there's traditional fantasy of like crazy landscapes and uh palaces and things like that and you have a retro utopian pando <laughs> and i wanted to spend more time in pando i liked what i saw and i was very curious about it and i also wanted to spend more time in the underworld of Avalonia, where you have this these two worlds, these strange worlds, <laughs> that really didn't become unstrange. They were sort of left as a mystery. And maybe that was part of the romance of this movie, is, look, we're just going to show you, we're going to let you just jump right into these two worlds and go along for the ride. And that's fine. It, it was good. We got a great story out of it. I just wanted more and I felt like my curiosity about all the things that I was seeing and the ways in which these had importance, it caused me to sort of get distracted along the way of like, man, I wonder what that's all about. I wonder what that creature, what the intent of that creature is besides looking amazing, because I don't think if anybody's going to criticize this movie, they can't say anything bad about the animation because it's phenomenal. I mean, this is basically like avatar on steroids in an animated world. If, if we're going to be honest, it's just, it's bright, it's soft, it's uh, just really vibrant. And it's really great to look at. But I think what I love most about it is that it calls back to those old school serial adventure comic books. So when you take it in Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones is essentially an old 1930s comic. And these feel like pages ripped out of a comic book like that it doesn't hurt that the intro has that great narrator at the beginning and you know a sepia tone or a black and white start with a really cool different animation style to indicate okay we're we're dealing with an adventure story here so having that setup i think allows for a classicness to be shown to us but also feel very updated because of these two worlds that we live in. And I think that that for me is what I what I gravitate towards when I watch this movie. It's just that it's a really it's a fun adventure movie that leaves me wanting more, but not enough that I feel like there's a bad taste in my mouth like it wasn't complete. Definitely a complete story, but just wanting more because of the interesting things that they they bring to me as an audience and that's
1: why i want a series or expansion like like i was saying i to me that's a good thing like if you if it's making a world that has you legitimately interested and curious about it then to me that's great that is world building right and i would love that as well but you can't expand this beyond an hour and 45 minutes in a kids movie i mean you're going to lose the attention of a target demographic or a large part of your target demographic Absolutely. if you do that but but I'm like you, and that's why I want more. It's because I thought this was genuinely interesting. And to your point, you just said this. I mean, we're spoiling everything. I don't know why we're beating around the bush, but this is the inside of a beast. Like they literally live on the back of a gigantic turtle. And so they're on the inside, it it's Dennis Quaid reprising his role of inner space, only in an animated way. But it's It's fascinating because what they do is when they give us that opening section and they show us the clades adventuring and discovering the Pando while Jaeger is like so determined, like all that matters is getting to the other side of this mountain, getting to the other side of this mountain. It makes us believe we're in our world. (laughs) And it's a trick because it is so reminiscent of what our world feels and looks like. Eve up until the Pando and the flying machines. And then it just feels like, okay, well, it's kind of like a steampunk world, but it still, I think always had me believing that it was earth in some way, right? Like I always felt like, oh, this is just somewhere else on earth or an earth, you know, earth-like planet. Didn't, I never really put two and two together that this was like some far off planet because it's not sold as an alien world, with aliens, cause it's humans. And so I, th- I think that that works to its favor because it kind of tricks your brain into being a little more surprised than once you watch it the second time, you can really see that, oh, okay, this is definitely not earth. <laughs> this is not where I live and what I was thinking of, but you just
0: kind of, you're going with it and, and it makes yeah. those reveals much neater. Well, and I think when you go through it a second time, the underworld in particular, when you're talking, I really felt like I was in a biology lesson the second time watching this, because knowing that you're inside this beast, everything feels like, oh, it's the red blood cell that's actually a fish, or here's some white blood cells, or here's the bacteria that's trying to fend off all these things. And it, it really felt a little bit like I'm watching a, a you know an episode of Something from the science channel to some degree, because of the fact that when you know that going in the second time, there's another layer to the design of all these creatures. These creatures have a dual purpose. And I think that's what makes it really interesting is that you go in the first time, you're in this underworld of Avalonia, and you're curious about all these creatures as they relate to the humans. That's what I think is really interesting, because as human beings, as you said, if we didn't know this was not on planet Earth, we ethnocentrically, or I guess earthnocentrically, if we could say that, think that everything really revolves around us, even the sun, you know, if you're going to be that kind of person. But the fact is, every story where there is a, quote, human being is going to be Relatable in some capacity. That's why we have the English language in this movie. It's not like you have (laughs) gibberish that's being translated in subtitles. All these cues tell us hey, this is a human adventure, but it then adds those layers on top, which in terms of Avalonia, I love the steampunk world. I love the flying machines and how that's coupled with farm life. I think that's pretty fantastic. Of course, it plays into that whole dynamic of farmer versus explorer. But when you get to the underworld, I was reminded just like you were reminded of inner space with Dennis Quaid. I was reminded of that extra oomph of the story, which is it's not just about the treasure. It's about what the treasure represents and the, the more sophisticatedness of it. This is basically the pilot episode of star Trek, the next generation encounter at far point without giving too much away. It is definitely the twist is definitely a smart twist. It's not like, Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. No, it's about, no, this makes a lot of sense. And I almost thought, how are we going to live? How are these folks going to live harmoniously with this creature? what is the pando plant going to be from now on? I was a little disappointed because it's like they said, okay, well, the pando plant's bad. So we're just not going to use that anymore. I was hoping for maybe a more cooperative kind of conclusion instead of kind of reverting back to, it's going to take us a lot longer. We're going to work hard we're going to pick up our bootstraps and, and do this. And of course they find that that works for them by the end of the end of the movie. I wanted more cooperativeness with this creature. And I think that's goes back to my earlier criticism of like, this creature is really interesting. So instead of saying, Hey, we're, we're killing you with this disease. How do we find ways to harvest whatever we've created? That can be good for our, our civilization to be cooperative with this creature. Because essentially what I pulled from this was Mm -hmm. you had searcher exploring, finding this plant that's going to save Avalonia makes Mm -hmm. it great. Apparently it, doesn't it's killing the planet and so instead of trying to find an alternative or maybe harnessing it in a way that's maybe a lot more um you know you know safe you instead say you know what let's just throw that out we're going to just farm from our hands and it's going to work and it does but that felt a little cheap for me and maybe i misrepresented but that's kind of how i felt leaving the leaving the theater on that one or leaving the movie yeah i would say that to find a
1: true alternative to that is a much lengthier tale probably to tell sure and yeah they really would have had to again stretch out the movie to try and add on like a whole coda of how they cope and how they to me that's another movie that's another expansion yep. of this world and story and so i totally understand like kind of holding some of that back i would be miffed if we got like a part two and it didn't actually follow on with how the civilization kind of evolves without the power plant uh, as well. And I think what is interesting to me is that they didn't become friends with it. I feel like most Disney movies would have introduced this creature and it would have like talked. I was waiting. In fact, I was almost cringing because when, when you get that awesome scene of searcher and he's, (laughs) he's like staring at it, he's like a really big eye and it's looking right at me, and his son son says, you know what that means, right, and he's like, it's judging me, and I just, it was so set up for the creature to like, talk, or to have some sort of communication, kind of like the sea beast, right, like, it was gonna have a relationship with the humans, but it didn't, it just exists, and it's just weird, and it's wacky and there's no explanation for why human beings live on the back of a, a thing. Like, I guess I've played too many video games because this, this has happened in several video games I've played. I've, I've had like a similar type of story. And so I found it refreshing that we didn't get any depth there, that it stuck on human to human interaction and relationships, I guess, with the exception of Splat, who is, you know, you got to have a comedic Disney sidekick. Like that's just necessary. He's the droid. He's the droid of strange world. Yeah. And legend. Yeah. Legend, the three-legged dog who I love that guy. (laughs) But yeah, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I just, I, it made me happy because I felt like they held back enough that there's a lot of stories to be told. And then simultaneously sad because this movie's done terrible. And now I probably won't get to hear any.
0: Maybe it'll come to Disney plus as an exclusive, like just direct to as a sequel. Which I'll, is fine. I'll I mean, take it
1: for once in my life. Yeah, i like, I well, work happily with
0: And I And I think, Aaron, it's it's one of those things where I think about Disney as the monstrosity that it is. They can take a bath financially for original properties. If I'm knowing the little that I do about what life is like as a Disney executive, if I'm president or if I'm in charge of programming, my approach is we've got enough cash cows. Let's do more original stuff, which I think you're right. They are doing more. Let's market the crap out of it. And if it doesn't do well, eventually people are going to catch on to, look, Disney's not just an IP monster. They don't just buy properties and then just churn out Daredevil part four. It's just, I I would love to be part of a company, not that does original stuff, but a company that recognizes... Original stuff might be great in the hearts of people, but in their wallets, they want more sequels because it's familiar. So what I would say as a compromise is let's find a way to balance that. Let's find a way to marry the new and the familiar. And that's what I think strange world does so well is it does both. You have this action adventure movie that has beats that are very familiar. I mean, it's not without its action sequences. This is, this has got a lot of cool stuff. You've got fights with like blubbery things happening all the time. I love the surfing on the fish. I think that's fantastic. There's, there's so much about the activity in the underworld that I feel like this is a sandbox for Disney animators and Disney writers or forget Disney, but writers of original content to say, look, this can be good. We just need to have a cash cow behind us that's going to be able to to support us. And so when I watch Strange World, do I want more? Yes. But I want more unapologetically where it's it doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, they've got to make at least you know 50 million at the box office to justify it. No, I'd love to be a company that says, look, we recognize this isn't going to make much and we're willing to spend more than we make to make this thing out there because we're committed to both we're committed to giving you great content whether it's original stuff or IPS let's do let's do that I'm hoping that companies like Disney are starting to do that I don't think so because they've got way too many properties that they can play with but I think strange world is a great asset and a great little tool in their belt for uh, for them to be able to say yep we, we do have the ability because you can put out great, you can put out original content, but if that content is crap, then you're really not doing yourself a service. This is such a huge problem though with the entertainment
1: industry as it exists now because it's not just about the story anymore. It's not even just about the box office that the story could bring. It's about creating something that sells toys. And it wasn't, always like that you know for all of history that was never like the number one goal there was a, a bonus to it when you occasionally had a hit that you were able to create some items that you could sell but now it feels like especially in the animation world and even in just blockbusters like everything is geared toward what can i put in this that will allow me to sell a thing And it's kind of unfortunate because some of these stories, like A Strange World, I mean, maybe it's partially because it has this vibe to it. I think this, but this would work in the 1950s or, you know, as a serial and in a time when nothing got sold, when it didn't, you didn't have Splat Toys on your shelves for opening weekend for kids to be like, oh, I loved that little character. I'm going to go buy a toy of it or a little to sleep with and, you know, and put in my room or whatever. Like it just, it was successful because it was good storytelling. And I feel so strongly that this is successful on its own as just good storytelling and animation. And it doesn't need to do all of that for Disney to, shouldn't need all of that for Disney to call it a success. But history has shown that that's how they operate now. and that's. Such a loss, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's so much fun. Just the adventuring in general parts of it, the scene where they're going into the journey of the center of the earth moment is really, really cool. I did not realize until I was rewatching it and doing some research uh, for the podcast here that the voice of Duffel the pilot initial pilot that actually gets ripped out of the cockpit by the, the red glowing, uh, wyvern like creatures. And I guess he dies that is voiced by Alan Tudyk. And it has to be intentional because Alan Tudyk, his character character in Firefly wash, sorry for spoilers, but like he's a pilot and he goes out in somewhat of a similar manner. Uh, He goes out flying. I'll I'll put it that way (laughs) while being a pilot. And so I feel like that was almost an intentional nod to Firefly, which I thought was really cool. But I liked, I liked that whole scene, you know, like you have the, the cool steampunk flying machine that Meridian comes in and she's trying to catch up to them and everything about like them exploring the different biomes of the strange world i like how the animation slips in and out of like comic book shots as well oh man i was just eating that up there's a great one where the dad jaeger is explaining to searcher about how he's been down here and it's everything is just right over this horizon but he can't get past this boiling lake that just burns up everything that touches it right so you you're like oh it's a lake of acid i've seen that in fantasy movies all the time there's you know some poisonous pit that people can't get by he's like if i could just fly over it and then we get a cool like comic book framed kind of pause moment of him hanging on the cliff Uh, looks awesome and it's so fun because when you rewatch it back your mind is going oh well duh like, it's a pool of acid. Like, he's literally stomach acid. He's a lake of stomach acid. Of course you can't get right. through it. Right, And yeah. it's really cool to recognize all the different kind of sections of anatomy, and not in a deep, overwhelmingly biological-specific way, but just in a general body function understanding manner, like, with what's going on and where they're at as they're moving through this journey. And and, and that was- yeah
0: a secondary blast the second time I watched it. So this is that familiarity with folks that were fans of inner space and inner space is that, what would it be like inside a human body? And we get to see all the, all the cool stuff there. The exaggeration of this planet is fantastic because it gives us that familiarity. I know that stomach acid in the lake of acid. When I see these fish that they're, floating on. They're not fish, they're cells, they're other things. And I like that we can connect the dots of what we understand about the human body to the anatomy of this creature, of this planet, but it's so far removed from biology that we're not trying to f- actually make those connections. It's not like, well, you know, stomach acid doesn't really do that unless you have an ulcer or, you know what, red blood cells, these guys are red blood cells. They would actually do this. No, we're not doing that. It is a planet. It is an an—it is—it it is an actual like underworld that has living creatures with faceless mannerisms <laughs> like Splat that allow us to be able to interpret. And that's where I think the movie succeeds is this whole thing. This whole adventure is an interpretation on something that we're familiar with. And so because you can take that familiarity and expand on it, you can allow your audience, whether you're in your forties or whether you're eight, nine, 10 years old, two sets of eyes can look at this and enjoy it from two different sets of points of views. I like to think about Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs more, more so where you have this great cartoon show that has all these adult in jokes in it. And it became probably one of the first shows that catered to such a wide audience, like Ren and Stimpy. That was sort of for kids, but it was really for like teenagers and young adults, Doug Rugrats. Those are more kid based shows Tiny Toon Adventures and um, Animaniacs were the two shows that I remember being like, you know what? If I'm 10, I'm going to enjoy this. If I'm 30, I'm going to enjoy this because the writing is so wide in terms of casting a demographic net for a lot of people. And I think visually and conceptually, Strange World allows for that when you can get behind everything that they're putting in an adult, or a child can enjoy this for what it is. It could be a simple adventure story, or it can be a little bit more complex in exploring what are the things going on here in terms of the themes, like father-son relationships, what it means to be a legacy. And that's something else I wanted to touch on a little bit, which is this idea that you have three generations of these folks, and you have these two adventurers sandwiching this farmer. And I got the father son dynamic. This is something that's not uncommon in many movies. And as a father and as a son, I definitely connect with these things. I absolutely love Searcher and Ethan's relationship, especially early early on. Um, so accurate in terms of the embarrassment. It's like level ten. Like this is this is what I will be doing when my son starts dating when he starts seeing uh, girls and. I'm gonna be like the dad joke guy. I'm doing it right now. And he's already kind of halfway embarrassed. But there's also this concept of like, man, I want to be able to connect with my son's friends. I want to be able to know what's the cool stuff happening. And I, I found myself as he's gotten older, he'll start telling me about these things or start singing these songs. And I'll have to kind of lean into my wife and go, hey, what song is that? Because she she works at a charter school, so she she's hip to the to the pop culture more than I am. And I watch him and I I love that dynamic of seeing how he, as a father, wants to connect with his son. It's not just about embarrassing him or about really living vicariously through him by any means. He really does want the best for Ethan. And what I think is the most genuine aspect of this movie is how their relationship evolves. Yes, you get the what I would call the the typical, you don't know me, I have my own life, I'm going to live my life the way I want. I mean, yes, typical rebellious teenager, but there's resolution because they both, at the end, value what the other person is bringing to the table. Uh, Searcher reconciles the fact that being an adventurer because of his father wound is not a bad thing. You don't have to be a farmer in order to be um, the next... Level the next generation of this family, and I think that's something that's um that should be explored more. This idea not that you should not have to follow in your father's footsteps, but that there's actually a cooperative relationship that can exist here where father doesn't become irrelevant, he actually becomes cooperative in, in some ways. I see searcher as this again, the sandwich where he's able to influence both his dad and his son because they are both relatable to each other in terms of being adventurous. And I thought that was a really beautiful concept.
1: Yeah, I think it was as well. And it works so much better here with a trio of generations and not just two. I think that adds a ton to the way we get to watch them learn to, you know, accept each other essentially, because they're all a little bit different. Ethan is certainly a mix of his father and his grandfather, who he didn't even know. He's not totally all about the adventure or all about the farming. He kind of wants to do his own thing. It's sort of in the middle. He's interested in both to some extent. He's interested in board games or card games and it makes me happy. <laughs> I I want to play Primal Outpost now, actually. I hope that they make that game. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting because, you know, Jaeger is he gets called a bad dad straight up by Searcher at one point. He's no, you were a terrible father. <laughs> he says that to his face yep. and understandable, understandable, disappeared for like 25 plus years or whatever. I get it. But You know, he, in his defense, was initially excited about having his son be into what he's into, and I think it's a good lesson for fathers, for parents in general, because that's something that's so easy to get caught up in, and I know I've been guilty of it to obviously a much lesser extent than we see in this movie, but if your kid gets into a movie, I light up. If my kid wants to play the video game that I want to play with him and that I like, I light up. If you know he wants to play the sport that I played in high school, I light up because I feel like I'm getting this additional connection with him. And it, it just feels self-satisfying. There's a pride to it, right? And it's hard when you don't get that to accept someone just going their own way. That's, very, very natural. I don't think most people would just leave their kid behind and disappear off into the mountainous terrain. But I also think that that spoke just more to Jaeger as and not just overly ambitious, but naive. I think he truly believed he was just going to pop over the mountain and find this thing and then go home. And when he wasn't able to do that, it feels like he didn't just get stuck in the belly of Avalonia. It felt like he legitimately could not mentally get himself out of it because he felt like a failure. And so now it's shifted because he's sort of starting to reckon with what he has done and his lack of success has just tormented him to the point where he doesn't even go home when he probably could make it home. And that's tragic. And I think this is a great story to show people empathy and understanding and, and how to work through some of the problems that come when your son or your dad aren't on the same page as you. And so I got a lot out of it. I mean, I really thought it was interesting. I mean, I thought a lot about athletes when I was watching this because I am so into sports and it's fascinating to me all the time where we get tons of juniors or the seconds and the thirds of athletes, because if dad was a football player, I mean, if you're a professional football player, what else are you going to do? Like, did anybody think that LeBron James Jr. Brawny wasn't going to play basketball. Like what else, what can you even what if Bronny was like, "You know, dad, I'm really into painting." <laughs> I mean, it just it's hard to fathom, right? Because when someone is so obsessed with their own calling, it naturally bleeds over into the people that are around them all the time and they, and they want to let that continue to go. And so this idea of legacy. I actually think the idea of legacy is fairly toxic, personally speaking. I will just put that out there. I don't really believe in it. I think that what we leave behind on the earth, all that really matters is the impact on the close people. We talked about this a little bit offline before this podcast even, but what matters is your impact on the people in your circle that are close to you. And if you had something that you did, like an explorer that did leave an impact on the world at large, that's awesome. But it doesn't matter to me what people think of me when I'm gone, you know what I mean? Like I want to live my life in a way that is about caring for others and being in community with others. And I want to be a good father now, not leave a legacy and not worry about my being a good father now because I was able to leave a legacy. Like it, that's not a trade off that I think is worth it for anybody. I just never will.
0: Yeah. I think (laughs) The idea of legacy is relatable to what we find entertaining about this story. The idea of legacy is the treasure. It's the thing we're going after. It's the idol that Indiana Jones goes after because it's there. I'm going to leave my mark. I want to leave my mark. I want the dash between my birth and death to matter. And on paper, man, that sounds amazing. Yes, I'm going to leave my mark. But to what extent? Do I leave my mark if I never get to travel around the world and impact people in Africa or in Asia in whatever capacity that is? If I'm an athlete, if I never make it to the NBA. I mean, I was I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the fact that of all the sports that college athletes participate in, the Idea of going to the NBA is probably the most far-fetched because of the small population of NBA players. I don't know how many there are in the in the league. Maybe you know because you I know you follow NBA, but it's it's little compared to baseball and football and the other. I think I don't know hockey. I don't follow that much, but the idea of what's the impact you're going to make? What I think Strange World does here. Is that it puts value on each individual person and their impact on, in this case, Avalonia. I don't love the fact that there's statues. I think that's a little bit I'd, I'd, a little bit more in the idolatry world. But it, it's is, but it makes it makes a really funny joke, though. <laughs> yeah, it does. It actually does. Yeah, mine's but he's taller like, than yours. <laughs>
1: but mine's a little bit taller, and he says it so yeah. casual. His dad's like, his dad's like, I wanted to have a statue. And he's like, you do have a statue, Dad. And then he's like, it's right next to mine. But mine's a little bit taller. You know, it's just, it's just such an offhanded,
0: like, oh
1: got him! like, he knows, he knows that that's going to sting. Anyway.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. Definitely. I don't agree, but it's making a point in that Avalonia owes its success, its history, its preservation to these individuals. So for the sake of the story, it works. What I think is really great is the fact that from the very beginning, father and son statues are there. It's not just Searcher. It's not just Jaeger. Avalonia recognizes that they both contributed to the success of this place. And then by the end of the movie, of course, we get the third. And that's where I think the movie shines is that it takes these three generations and it not only puts them in a cooperative environment. It says, hey, we need each other, which I I definitely get behind this idea of community, but it allows the world that they are saving to recognize that communal thing, that they're not just relying on one person, that it wasn't just any individual. They needed the explorer and they needed the farmer to be able to sustain the success of this, I guess you'd call it planet or land or place that they live. It's not the planet because the planet obviously is is the creature. But I think that that's really important because when you talk about legacy, positively or negatively, you're usually talking about a person and their contribution to the world but if i'm thinking about let's say you know the israelites who were in slavery for for 40 generations or whatever before god used moses to exile them and send them to the promised land which by the way moses didn't get in joshua did so i mean talk about legacy <laughs> moses kind of missed out on that i'm thinking about the guy that was born, lived and died in slavery, never saw the Exodus, never got to see the plagues, never got to see God's deliverance and all this. What's his legacy? Well, his legacy is to his family because he was faithful because he was all these things. And that's where I think when we talk about legacy, I think this touches on that a little bit. Yes, they made a huge impact on this place but they also made an impact on each other and they valued one another above and beyond this this status, this this label of, oh, you're a farmer. And, and that gets played with early on. I love the joke that Searcher makes with Ethan. He says, hey, you got to pull the weeds. And Ethan makes that crack of like, well, aren't, I mean, I, I don't remember what it was specifically. Aren't weeds just, you know, plants that are growing inconveniently? <laughs> and of course, his dad claps back at him. Again, I love the dynamic. I love that Ethan or that Searcher is in love with his wife and that he has no problem with the PDA and he embarrasses his son and that he just goes back to that. This family loves one another. And when they bring his dad in there, the reconciliation, not for him to come back, but for him to recognize that his contributions were just as valuable and it wasn't to the tune of a statue. It was the fact that his exploration, his ability, his desire to see beyond the mountains, was just as valuable as finding this plant and eventually using those farming skills to cultivate a land uh, by the sweat of your brow instead of by the the glow of a of a plant so I think that's that's really on display here in, in a pretty good way
1: yeah, I agree and that was one of my favorite lines in the whole movie as well the father what is a weed other than a plant that's growing somewhere you find inconvenient. And it's like, have you ever thought about it that way? No, not really. (laughs) Because I don't care because I'm the bug, not the ant. Or wait, I'm the human, not the ant. Right. And like it's that it goes to that whole like bug and windshield type thing or whatever, where sometimes there's always somebody bigger than you. There's always a bigger fish. Right. And we just happen to be the bigger fish when you're talking about a weed. And in this case, they discovered, guess what? (laughs) There's a way bigger fish than you (laughs) and you are a weed at this point or the Pando is the weed in that, in that situation. So yeah, I really enjoy everything about the parental anxieties and, and everything about their relationships. And then the fact that there is a mom character as well, that gets to kind of deal with trying to make these guys get along, but not, it's not overly done. Right. In the way, like, I feel like a lot of comedies would overplay the woman's role and they would try to make her into more of, they would try to insert her between them more. Whereas she's more just looking at them on the outside, like, guys, you need to get your crap together. <laughs> we got stuff to do and we got to get home. And I care about making sure my kid is safe. And like, that is my priority. And I thought that was a very motherly character trait that came through in, in the way that she interacts with them. The action in the movie, I think thought looked really good. You mentioned the surfing on cells scene, the little like bumpy characters that they're riding on while they're being chased by the, the tentacle blob cell characters, which I really liked those by the way, design wise, those cellophones that are like coming after them. That was super exciting and interesting especially, you know, both times. Like the first time I just thought that they were, it was just some migrating animal, right? Some species that was moving from one side to another in some pattern. And then you realize what you're actually watching is like (laughs) blood flowing essentially. And it takes on a whole new meaning. And then I love just the way in which they have to fight off these creatures and ultimately like break the pando so that it's, Freeze the heart from being encased in this hardened shell. And when, you, when it really clicks for you, what is happening and what these creatures have been attacking and trying to accomplish, it just, I don't know, it just is such a satisfying feeling to me and, and changed my perspective of what their actions were. And that was a lot of fun just to watch them. And then I thought that there was a great little joke in the movie when they're stuck in the closet and they can't get out of it because the door is locked. (laughs) And so splat goes outside the door and unlocks it and then goes back inside the closet without (laughs) opening it and lets legend open the door. It's a very intentional choice, right? Like clearly splat could have opened the door, but he let, the dog who had been struggling and trying to do it on his own accomplish it. And I just, I could, dude, I had one of the biggest, like, Oh, moments ever. Just seeing those two side characters, like work together and both get part of the glory for this. I just thought that was a completely unnecessary, but welcome in the movie for me. And I do think that it's a good movie message in this film as well. I mean, I, it's, really boils down to taking care of your resources, stewarding the resources that you have on your planet. And for all the crap that movies like Avatar get for, oh, it's just the same old narrative about climate change and taking care of the planet and all the yada, yada, yada. I mean, I thought that this did it in a way that was impactful. It showed that it matters, but without... Beating it down your throat and saying, This is a one for one comp of exactly what we are doing. It was more of a tangential example of how we treat our world and the way that we need to change our thinking about our world. That it's not directly saying, Hey, don't do this one thing that you're doing. You need to stop this. You need to, you know, stop melting the polar eye caps. That's not the message, right? The message is think about your use of resources as a whole and what it is doing to your planet and what is going to happen when it dies or if it dies. Um, And maybe if personifying your planet as a giant moving turtle creature helps you to care about it more, then that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think. Whether or not the message is deliberate or not, I think the whole fossil fuels thing is the the one that direct, the co-directors have said, this is what it's about. I have no issue with that. I have no issue when the generalized idea is still there. So if I agree or disagree that fossil fuels are good or bad for the for the planet, that's a different conversation. I can get on board with the fact that I need to be more conscious of the world that I live in and knowing that. There's ways to be sustainable. There's ways to legit care about it, to be a good steward, not just with planetary resources, but with everything. How do I not waste things? How do I not waste time? How do I not waste money? How do I not waste talent and capabilities for the sake of my own selfishness? Because, in all honesty, that's one of the core reasons or the core motives for why a lot of this stuff might happen is it's just selfishness. And like, how do we get to this place quicker? Or how do we do it cheaper? How do we do it faster? How do we do it in a way that's more economical? And as we've talked about online, there's some virtue in that. But if it's wrapped up in a lot of crap, then it's really not. So I I don't really care if the director's Purpose is to be specific about, okay, you need to stop burning fossil fuels. I don't, I don't care at all. What I care more about is the fact that the message is not overblown, that it doesn't take away from the overall narrative, which I don't believe it does, and that it's wrapped up in a story that feels compelling and it's one that we can have a conversation about that's not about that thing. I think about the West Wing, or really, well, specifically the West Wing, how you and I love Aaron Sorkin. That guy will. Go to his grave saying, Oh, there's no agenda. There's totally an agenda. I mean, he's got Democrats in office. He, in the pilot episode, he rips on the far right, the far Christian right, but he does it in a way that's not global, like not universal. In fact, there's a conversation. I love the pilot episode because immediately you're like, Oh, it's totally left wing. I think that's what my dad, before he fell in love with the show, he kept calling it, Oh, you mean left wing, not West wing? <laughs> you can't, I mean, Don't apologize for having... West is left. Yeah, it depends, I guess.
1: Left, I guess it depends on if you're looking at the map or if you're standing on the map. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I guess. (laughs) My point being that it's okay to have a perspective and an agenda. It's okay to be motivated. Writers write what they know. And the fact is, if it makes for compelling drama, if it makes for great storytelling, do it because I don't have to agree. But by the end of the fourth season, Bartlett for America, I'm there. And I think in that world, I would be a Democrat. But the fact is you've got to be able to reconcile the fact that creators are going to create things that they're familiar with and they're going to have messages. Even if I'm putting together a narrative, there are things in my head that I'm writing down and I'm going, you know what? I'm going to be sarcastic with this. I'm going to use comedy to kind of dig at this particular issue Why? Because it's therapeutic. Because it feels like I need to say this, and if the byproduct is that if that is that people are laughing, whether or not they get the end joke, I've actually succeeded. And I think that's what this movie's doing. Again, I don't care that it has a deliberate message about a specific thing. I agree with the generalized idea of what it's trying to say, and it's wrapped up in a story that is entertaining. And to me, as we've talked about for years, that's the point of going to movies: is to be entertained. So. Great if the byproduct is what it is, I'll I'll stay with the entertainment value if, <laughs> if I need to. Oh, me too. D- absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Feel and Film. I've got one more question for you, Aaron. It's very important. Final question: Are you a farmer or are you an explorer? Oh gosh, uh,
1: I'm Ethan. I'm a board game player. Give me the. <laughs> I I just want to play Outpost 99 or whatever it's called. Tactical outpost, practical outpost, primal outpost. I was close. There you
0: go. He got it. He finally yeah. got it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, gimme
0: Ethan. What what would you call yourself? Farmer. I'd be a farmer. I like yeah. being a homebody. I like cultivating even though I don't have a farm. I'd love the idea of creating or growing things and having stuff that's like cool. I I grew this and I didn't yeah. kill it. So, I'm I'm very much the the homebody uh farmer. So call me Ethan. I figure. Not Ethan. Call I, me I, I'm I'm
1: closer to Searcher, I think, too, because he has the explorer bone in his body, but he doesn't want to just go out and leave everything behind to do that. And that's how I am. So I care enough about my relationships and the people around me that I would never just want to be Nathan Drake and go off and never come back. Right. Right. And just live my life doing that. But I would be enamored with having that experience at least once like he is.
0: Absolutely. And to grow a green plant would be fantastic. You know what? Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for another great conversation, Aaron. We'll talk soon.
1: Hey everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you.